here today in the Lord's house as we have come to worship Him, and it is our great delight and joy. God's grace is that which provides us opportunity and again to come to seek Him today. We're going to commence our service with this hymn, Fill All My Vision. It's a prayer, and it's a prayer that is good for us to pray as we seek the Lord today. And the point behind it all, as we ask the Lord to, well, be magnified in us and help us to see more of Him through His Word and in a time of worship, the last phrase of the chorus It says that thy holy image may be reflected in me. And that's our purpose. That's our desire. Let's stand, please, as we worship him now. bow, please, before the Lord now in prayer. Father, as we still ourselves in Thy holy presence this morning, and as we have been singing this hymn of prayer and of praise, 
and the desire that the Lord Jesus would be reflected in our lives. We are very conscious, Lord, of the need of the Spirit of the Lord to help us in this area. And so we pray at the beginning of our meeting now for the help of the Spirit to enable us to pray, enable us to sing, enable us, Lord, to understand the Scripture and help us, Lord, in all of our life's journey and work and service that all will be to the glory of our Lord Jesus. Father, come this morning and draw near to us. Cleanse away everything that would hinder our fellowship, our worship today. Lord, we come to give thanks for mercies that are new every morning, and today is no different. We have life. We have a measure of health and strength. Lord, we have provisions that we do not deserve, blessings that are poured out upon us by Your grace. And because of our connection through Christ, to our Father in heaven. And Lord, today we pray that every detail of the service be here in our meeting, but we are praying, Lord, for our sister congregations this morning. We're asking for Your blessing on our missionaries. We're praying, Lord, for Your Spirit to be poured out upon every faithful messenger, minister, preacher of the gospel. Lord, we ask for blessing in our land. We stand in need of an awakening, and we give ourselves once more, Lord, into Your hand and pray that we would know the outpouring of Your Spirit, the blessing of reviving, the awakening and quickening of souls to be saved. Lord, hear our prayer. Bring us a little higher up the mountain of our spiritual walk in fellowship. Cause there to be, Lord, within our souls a deepening of a hunger and thirst for our God, that we will walk close, Lord, that the things of this world that are vying for our attention and how the devil would set things in our pathway uh, to distract us and cause us to stumble and fall. Father, make us strong, we pray, each day that we will walk more by faith and less by human sight, that we'll behold our Lord Jesus and desire from our souls that we will glorify Him, and in no way will we dishonor Him. Father, use the testimony of this church, of this gathering of believers, that we will be made strong in Christ. and We will know with certainty the truth of the words that Jesus said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so, Lord, hear us today. Remember those that have been 
set aside and are today in sickness. Remember our sister Lori today. Father, help her. Bless her in this time of her sickness. We're thankful that Lisa's back with us today after being away under the weather for some weeks. Remember those who are still breathing, grieving the loss of loved ones. Lord, bless each one today. Lift up the hearts and the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. And may our eyes and our souls be turned again to our blessed Savior. So, Father, hear this, our prayer. Remember, too, Lord, we ask for blessing upon those in harm's way, those who are under persecution and wartime. Father, remember the believers in the Ukraine today and help them, missionaries and servants and ministers. We pray for those people who are in places where there is great persecution and trouble. Help them, bless them, lift them up in their spirit. Let them see the hand of protection of their God and opportunities right in the middle of their deepest trial. Lord, hear our prayers today and encourage our heart. We ask all these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. We're going to sing today another hymn, one that we don't have in our hymnal. It is called, Out or Oh, the Depth of the Riches. It was written by uh, Reverend John Bodner. And as I say his name, I would ask you to remember our brother in prayer as well. He is suffering from uh, cancer, and he is going through some difficult times right now. And uh, we uh, know our brother very well, connected in our congregation. We love him in the Lord, and he has been a faithful minister of the gospel for many, many years. And he has written several hymns, and this is one of them that we want to sing. Let's stand, please. It's to a familiar tune, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. So you'll get the tune and the words together. Let's stand to praise the Lord.
thank our brother for, well, composing that hymn and many others like it, and for the talent and the grace God has given to him in order to uh, be able to give to the church these important and necessary words to sing. We're going to turn now, please, in our scriptures for a congregational reading to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, God who at sundry or different times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by His Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, When he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire, but unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hath laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands." They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. May God bless His Word to our hearts today as we have read in our study today as we continue in the life of the Lord. Jesus made some very strong proclamations in His teachings, and in these final hours with His disciples, He made one of those today that we want to look at, 
and I pray that God will help us in our study of the Word of God today. Good to see you all. We're happy that you're here in the Lord's house today, and we welcome you in the Savior's precious name, and we trust that if you are visiting, returned again, the Lord will bless His Word to your heart and open your joy in the reception of truth, and it will be by the Spirit of God applied to your heart, to all of our hearts, and we will, well, we will will be changed, made more like unto the Lord and less like ourselves. We certainly welcome all who are viewing our service today online, and we want to encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember our sister Lori Bryant, please, in prayer. She has been taken in, she was taken into the hospital uh, quite sick this past week. She has COVID pneumonia, which is a very serious matter, but she is, uh, by the Lord's grace, on antibiotics and trusting she will uh, be able to be made through. She's not in the hospital now, she's at home, and so do please remember her very much in your prayers. We know that others have been sick and are um, doing better, back on track again. As I mentioned, it's good to see our sister Lisa in the congregation today, back again. She was under the weather for a while, and we're happy that she's here. And we want to remember all of you very much, please, in, your, in our prayers. Remember, please, the ministry announcements for today and for the rest of this week. This afternoon at 5.50, we have our time of prayer downstairs. And let me encourage you to be a part of that making preparation even for the evening service time. And then our service at 6.30 as we, in the Lord's will, continue our study in the book of Daniel and in the life of that man of faith. Then we have Wednesday evening our session and board meeting on... Oh, pardon me, the prayer meeting. First of all, on Wednesday, 7.30, or Thursday, our session and board meeting at 6 and 7.30. And then our Lord's Day services next Lord's Day at the same time. Sunday school at 9.55. We have classes for every age, from the very youngest up to the oldest, and we hope you'll take part and participate in those important services. If you are planning on attending the Port Hope Easter meetings taking place next Friday and Saturday, I know you'd be very welcome there at those meetings, and they will be Friday afternoon and then Saturday evening, they are providing a dinner for people who want to stay through on the Friday. But there's a list outside on the table at the, in the foyer. And if you are planning to stay through for dinner, just put your name down, how many are going to come in your family, so we can let the congregation and know in Port Hope as they make their preparations for that. That's all the ministry announcements we have for you today. We're going to sing another hymn to the Lord's praise, number 72, remaining seated while we sing.
Well, you're singing well today in the praise of the Lord, but we will sing better when we stand for this final verse. Glory, blessing, praise eternal. Thus the choir of angels sings. Riches, honor, power, dominion. Thus its praise creation brings. Final verse. Now please turn with me again to John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14, we're reading the first 11 verses. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, There ye may be also. Whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If ye had known me, You should have known my Father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. And how sayest thou then, Show us the Father? Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? And the words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these 
shall he do because I go unto my Father. Please join me in prayer. Our Lord, as we have opened before us Your holy word, I pray that the Spirit of God would come now and give us divine insight and help, for we are very weak and unable, Lord, within ourselves to comprehend, to understand these vast thoughts, these eternal truths. And so, dear Father, this morning, draw very near. Blessed Holy Spirit, give us understanding hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you will apply the truth to each one of our minds. Bless us now. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So, what does it mean to know Christ and to see the Father? I say to you today that you will have seen the Father as you know and believe in the Son. Our Savior, while He was on earth, could have spoken authoritatively on any subject that has occupied the curious minds of men from the beginning of time. He could have spoken on science, cosmology, physiology, psychology, genetics, physics, music, artistic form, and the inexhaustive list that fills up the curriculum of universities around the globe. Our Lord could have instructed on any of those but He did not do that. The Savior limited Himself to the matters that impact the human soul in light of eternity. This involved dealing with man's greatest need, the removal of our sin, and what it means to be reunited with the God of heaven. That is the subject matter that the Son of God narrowed the field of approach while He was on earth. This is why, my dear friends, the message of John 14, verse 6 is so vital in our time because as Christ declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, 
no man comes to the Father but by Me, He was not declaring Himself as a message, but He was declaring Himself as the only message of truth and life and hope for a lost world. Now the disciples believed on the Lord Jesus When Peter declared, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, he was merely echoing what all the other disciples knew and believed apart from Iscariot. And so they did believe in him. They were following him. They knew he was their Messiah. But their knowledge was yet incomplete. They did not yet fully comprehend that relationship that He had with the Father. They could not yet grasp that truth. There was a disconnect that seemed to be between flesh and spirit. So when Jesus said to them, if you had known Me, ye should have known My Father also, that that just didn't collect, connect, connect with them. And so that's why Philip said to him, well, Lord, if you would just show us the Father, that would answer all the questions for us. That would settle everything. Just show us God. If we could see the Father, that would fill up and answer all the unanswered questions that we have, and then we would know when Philip said that, he was exposing his, his yet inadequate knowledge of who Jesus Christ really was. If you had seen me, Philip, you have seen the Father. The Lord asked Philip, The question follow-up, am I a stranger to you? Oh, what a strange question that was. What a hard question that is. I wonder, friends, if the Lord, in your Christian development, as you have some misconceptions about the Savior, you don't fully trust in Him in the way the Scripture would draw us to trust in Him, Would there ever be a time in our life when Jesus would say to you, to me, am I a stranger to you? Do you not know me yet? Do you not know all there is yet to know about me? Is there some point in our Christian life where we have doubted God? We have questioned the Savior And it almost is the same as we're saying, Lord Jesus, You're a stranger to me. Oh, friend, never, never let that be said of us. Let us come and submit ourselves and humble ourselves under the Word of the living God so that we will have our relationship with Christ deepened and expanded so that He will be magnified in our life.
And we will know Him by the testimony of our faith. But dear friends, we will know Him in our heart, in our mind, in our will, in our desires. We will know everything that will be helpful for us along this pilgrim pathway. Jesus said to Philip, Am I yet a stranger? Have I been so long time with you, Philip, and yet you don't know me? And then this phrase, which is the word I want to focus in on this morning in verse 9. This phrase, Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Jesus Christ on earth in His human form said to the disciples, if you have seen, beheld, believed in Me, you have seen and beheld and believed in the Father. It was a most amazing statement that Jesus made. And I trust today that we will have a greater comprehension, a greater understanding of this profound word that Jesus spoke as we grasp and endeavor to grasp the mirroring relationship between the Father and the Son. Do you notice, please, with me, the first thought today we have? The mysterious unity that there is in God. The mysterious unity within the Trinity. Whenever a human being steps out to offer a definition of divine nature or divine being or the attributes of God, we are in danger on the one hand of oversimplification. We're dealing with the eternal God of heaven and earth and, and how can we possibly come to try and make a definition of the God of heaven and earth when we oversimplify these great and stupendous and profound truths? We are foolish. And on the other time hand, on the other side of it, it would be presumption for us to think that we are able to give some kind of definition of divinity. No, friend, we have to come and, and just say very humbly, recognizing before the God of heaven and earth that we are nothing, that, Lord, we are, we are not able for this. These things are, are too high for us. I cannot... I cannot reach the height. They are too deep. I cannot plumb the depths of them. They are too wide. I cannot possibly measure as we try and understand what Jesus said here. He that has seen me hath seen the Father. Do you have any comprehension of the deity 
of the Trinity, of the Godhead, we must say to the Lord, as we look into these matters, we say, Lord, we want knowledge and understanding, but Lord, we are standing today on holy ground, and therefore we would take our shoes off. We would dare not step lightly or foolishly into areas that are so infinitely beyond us that we would show our ignorance so very, very quickly. Then the question comes to us, how do we begin to understand what Jesus meant when He said, He that has seen Me has seen the Father? Can we think for a moment? They are diverse and yet unified. That there is diversity in unity. This is what Jesus was saying. During the public preaching of Christ, when He defended His person and His mission before the Pharisees, He told them in John 10.30, I and my Father are one. At that point, when He said that, they all took up stones on the ground to kill Him because they knew the implication of what He was saying. They did not accept Him as Messiah. They rejected Him. They saw Him as Jesus of Nazareth, a man that has come out of Galilee. They didn't even recognize He could have been the Messiah because they didn't know He came from Bethlehem where prophets, the prophet, the son of David, was to come. And so they were going to kill Him. Now the disciples would have heard that interchange between the Lord and the Pharisees at that time, but they would have also heard many more similar circumstances, and they heard the private, quiet teaching of Jesus to them as well, expounding on those very things. The disciples, they were not asking a question out of their unbelief. Philip didn't say to the Lord, well, if you just show us the Father, then, uh, because we don't believe in you, but we would believe in the Father if we saw... That's not what Philip was saying. He was not coming at this with the unbelief of the Pharisees and the Jews because they had already received Jesus as the Messiah. But Philip's question was one of, of just ignorance. It was just one of someone who believed, but they didn't have their belief fully realized yet. And this teaching moment would not be lost on the eleven disciples that were now still in the upper room with the Lord, nor would it be lost on the rest of the world and of all believers and followers of Christ in these simple and yet so mysterious words of the relationship between the Father and the Son in the Trinity of their persons. The subject of the Trinity has it's been expounded by many, many theologians from the very first century right up until today. 
And while it's not possible for sinful man to explain or fully understand, it is necessary to state the doctrine and make our confession of belief. Why? Because there are many who deny it. That's why. And therefore, God has given to the church theologians and scholars and those who are men of faith who have made their declaration like Daniel did when he was before Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, there is a God in heaven. And who was that God? He was the God that Daniel worshipped, that he believed in, that he trusted in. There is a God in heaven, and therefore we must give some confession of our belief of who that God is and how He has revealed Himself and how we understand what the Bible is teaching about the Trinity. Yes, there are many unbelievers, whether they are so-called Christians or false religions, that have raised objection that the Bible does not contain the word Trinity, and therefore it nullifies the teaching. But to be clear, the word triunity is a simple way of describing the aspect of God's being that the Bible clearly shows. No, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but that does not mean that the teaching underlying this doctrine of the tri-unity of God, of Father, Son, and Spirit, which are conveyed to us right from the very beginning of the Bible in creation. When God said, let us make man in our image, it's the plural word in Hebrew. So there was the idea of diversity and unity in the Godhead from the very beginning. So, whether people have denied because of that word not being there, they have missed totally the point. There have been several confessions of faith that have stated this biblical teaching, especially when the doctrine of the Trinity was being attacked and denied, when some had strayed from the truth and they tried to explain how God revealed Himself, and some heresies said that He took different roles or modes. And so they would say that God is one, but they would say He just had a different mode of operation one time and a different mode of operation another time, but He really was not distinctly Father, Son, and Spirit. That was one heresy that was addressed in the early time of the church. Another one heresy stated that God had three parts. So there was the part of the Father and the part of the Son and the part of the Spirit, but none of those parts were actually God. They were only fragments of God, if you could think about it that way. But those things were not accurate and true according to the Scripture. And there were believers, and there were times and opportunities when presentations or a creed was formulated in order to express 
Well, what does the Bible teach? These things are important. They're good. Why? Because if we are gathered in this church today, and you say you're a Christian, and I say I'm a Christian, and you say you believe in God, I say I believe in God. And you say, well, I believe that God operates in these three modes, but He is not three persons. That's where you and I will break fellowship. Because this is such an important matter. Because the Bible and drawing out from the Scripture of the relationship that as Jesus was on earth and He made that statement to Philip, Philip, if you have seen Me, you have seen the Father, and He was introducing to Him to him the great diversity and unity that there is within God. And that's so important then, if we are in a gathering of fellowship of people, we have to state clearly what we believe the Bible teaches in order that we might have unity and fellowship and we might be able to clearly describe what we agree the Bible teaches. So one example would be the Athanasius Creed. It was composed about the 6th century and it was to oppose the heretical teaching at the time of those who denied the personality of the Father or the Son and the Spirit. And this is what a, fra- a section of what it said, the Athanasian Creed, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the essence For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit is all one. The glory is equal, and the majesty is co-eternal. Such as the Father is, Such is the Son, and such is the Holy Ghost. The Father is uncreated, the Son is uncreated, and the Spirit is uncreated. So that in all things, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. Now, that's a very Well, it's a little bit confusing sometimes when I'm reading it and you're just listening. But to go and review that statement over, you can tell it it is dealing with the narrowing of the field of some of these falsehoods that have come to the surface of heresies. Now, every Protestant confession of faith And I say this because the word Protestant, if they are faithfully true to that name and to the Bible, every Protestant confession of faith has affirmed the Trinitarian doctrine of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is the substandard of our denomination and what we would hold and agree the Bible is teaching, It says this, in the unity of the Godhead, there be our three persons, 
of one substance, one power, and one eternity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The Father is of none, neither begotten nor proceeding. The Son is eternally begotten of the Father, the Holy Ghost eternally proceeding from the Father and the Son. The Belgic Confession of Faith says this, according to this truth and this Word of God, we believe in the one only God who is the one single essence in which are three persons really, truly, and eternally distinct according to their incommunicable properties, namely, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why I ask you today, or maybe you're asking, why is this so important? Because, my friend, it is absolutely necessary to your salvation that you acknowledge and believe in the Trinity of God's persons in unity. You cannot be saved if you deny the doctrine of the Trinity. Why? Because the Son of God, who was on earth and speaking to Philip, and communicating the message of life and of hope and of truth. That same Christ who said, I and my Father are one. If you reject the Trinity, you are rejecting the person of Jesus Christ who was speaking to Philip. And then, my friend, you have another Christ, a different Jesus. And didn't the Lord warn, actually, as it comes near the end of time, and people will say to you, here is Christ, or there is Christ, Jesus said, do not follow them. In other words, He was warning them. There are going to be people who come and say, they are Me, but they are not Me. You then therefore must be discerning according to the Scriptures to understand and to know because the Jesus who died on the cross is the Son of God and God the Son equal to the Father and equal to the Spirit. And they all have unity in the diversity of their persons. That is why, friend, this is so essentially important for us to see. They were diverse, yet unified. We learn something further from the statement that Jesus made, that they are incomprehensible. Many illustrations have been given to describe the Trinity, and while some have been helpful, it's not possible for us to fully illustrate that which is incomprehensible. One of the best illustrations I think that has been used would be that of water, H2O, because 
it displays itself in three variations, but it is still the element of H2O. It can be a liquid, it can be a vapor, and it can be a solid. And so that's a helpful way of thinking about the essence of H2O remains the same in the three ways in which it can be demonstrated. And yet each one of those, something separate, something individual, they're all unified, yet they have diversity. Bishop J.C. Ryle, commenting on these words that Jesus spoke, he said this, This deep sentence can only mean He that hath thoroughly seen Me, Jesus, with the eye of faith, and realized that I am the Eternal Son, the Divine Messiah, hath seen as much of My Father, whose express image I am, as mortal man can comprehend. There is no, there is so close and intimate a union between the persons of the Trinity that he who sees the Son sees the Father. And yet, we must carefully beware that we do not, like some heretics, confound the persons. Yes, a wise statement by Mr. Ryle. The Lord Jesus, in the trinity of His persons with the Father and the Son, they are diverse yet unified. The trinity is incomprehensible and it is eternal. Some of you may have heard the account of how our shorter catechism question, what is God, came about when a young man by the name of Gillespie in the time when they were writing and composing the Confession of Faith, the Westminster Confession, and dealing with the question of what is God, they stopped for prayer because they didn't know how to approach this question. They didn't know how to go forward. And they asked the youngest member of that body of scholars and divines to lead in prayer. And as he prayed, he prayed, O oh God, we know that God is a Spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And of the other things He may have prayed, He said, in Jesus' name, Amen. And when He had finished, they all agreed, we have the definition that we have been asking God for, and it was been given through the prayer of this, this man. And he was thinking about the eternal nature of God. And drawn from the Scriptures in Moses' prayer of Psalm 90, in verse 2, he said, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. 
the eternal nature of Jehovah. And yet, how do we see that in the person of Jesus? We turn ahead to Hebrews 13 and verse 8, and what do we read there? Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, the eternal God. Philip, you have seen me, you have seen the Father. To receive this truth is a clear evidence of the foundation of trusting that Jesus is your Savior and that He is the one who is able to save from sin. I wonder, friend, today, have you trusted in Him? Do you know Him? Because to know Him is to know the Father. To believe in the Father is to believe in the Son. And these things are all tied so closely together. So we've been thinking about the mysterious unity in God. And please let me share with you in the second place, in what ways do we see the Father in Christ? That's an important question, isn't it? Because when Jesus made that statement to Philip, the next and obvious question from Philip's mind would be, okay, if I have seen the Father when I have looked and seen Christ my Savior, how then have I seen that? How has that been revealed? We are told, friends, as we read today in Hebrews chapter 1, that Christ the Son of God, is the express image of the Father. The express image of the Father. Exacting words. And this message is seen through the revelation of Jesus to a lost world. The Father has spoken to us in these last times through His Son, because He has spoken unto us through the written Word, and He has spoken unto us through the incarnate Word. And we join those two definitions and aspects together. And what do we have? We have, my dear friends, the great wisdom of God. In what ways do we see the Father in Christ and Christ in the Father through the wisdom that He has revealed to this world in giving us His only begotten Son. But we also will see it in the power of God. Anyone who acknowledges a supreme deity, a sovereign being described as God, well, they must conclude that such a God has power and has power that God has infinite, eternal power. In fact, we use the word omnipotent, all-powerful, is God, to both create and preserve the universe. The undefined nature of the miraculous, well, it really shows us 
something that is beyond human explanation. So if you try to define a miracle, you're going to come to a dead-end road real quick because that which is miraculous cannot be defined, humanly speaking. And so when you imagine and know and think that God is Himself all-powerful and able to do the miraculous, then you come and observe the life of Christ on earth. And what did He do? He did the undefinable. He did the miraculous. He healed the lepers. He gave sight to the blind. And He raised the dead again. And those aspects of the miraculous that Christ did, it revealed that He is God the Son and the Son of God. And therefore, friend, to believe in the power of the Father is to believe in the power of the Son. Yes, God and Christ has shown that to us in His life, in how He lived and what He did. The greatest example of the resurrection of Christ of other, upon others would have to be Lazarus, where He had been dead for four days. And there was no disputing it. Everyone in the society knew Lazarus had died. He was dead for four days. So much so that His sister said to the Lord, you cannot roll that stone away from His grave. You cannot, you dare not do it, Lord. Because by this time, His body will have already begun decomposing. And it will be a terrible sight and a terrible odor. But Christ said, roll that stone away. And when He did that, and He called Lazarus to come forth from the dead. He demonstrated His omnipotence over death that no man could ever do apart from that power of God being in Him. And then we think about the attributes that Christ had. When the Savior went about doing good, he was showing mercy and giving compassion, kindness and love without expecting any reciprocation. It was all a mirror of the Father's attributes. Let us be careful that we never perceive of our Father of God in heaven as being hard or intolerant or unmerciful when He brings and calls down wrath upon sin. Don't ever think that there is a difference between how the Father looks at things and really how Jesus looks at things because Jesus is nice and good and kind, but the Father is not nice and not so good, not so kind in the way He... No, friend. Do not think that way for a moment because they are mirroring each other. Christ is the express image of the Father and everything in the mind of the Father is in the mind of Christ. Jesus said, I do always those things that please Him. Would we see the Father's meekness and patience and long-suffering and mercy and love? Let us observe how the Son of God lived 
and moved and walked in sinless perfection every step to the glory of His Father. Because He did always and everything that pleased the Father, and He spoke what the Father wanted Him to speak. number of times that He was accused by the Pharisees of overreaching. Jesus said, I don't speak of Myself. He said, what the Father has given Me, that I speak. And of course, that did not mean that Jesus was being forced to say something He did not want to say, but He was deflecting at that time the honor to His Father. How do we see the likeness when we consider justice linked with mercy, thinking of Jesus and the Father and the Spirit? If God requires us to do justly and love mercy, then we should not be surprised to see that parallel characteristic in Him. The Father must act with justice, for He has given His Word that sin must be punished. It cannot be swept under the carpet. That's what you and I do at times. We sweep things under the carpet. But the Lord cannot do that. And where we are confronted with the justice of God, what do most people think? Well, you would see the example of the justice of God, if they believed in Him, at the day of judgment, at the end when all men will stand before Him and God will open the books and He will say, you have done this and done this and done this and therefore you deserve judgment. That's what people assume that God the Father, an example of His justice. But where really, friend, do you see the example of the justice of God that is linked together with His mercy? It is at the cross at the cross where God brought justice upon sin down upon His only begotten Son. And as He brought that down upon Him, there is that great mixture and joining together of God's love for sinners and His mercy for those who are undeserving of mercy. That's you and me. And we see God's Justice falling upon His Son. The combination of Him who is just and yet the justifier of those who are unrighteous. God is holy. And that place at the cross, friend, and I say to you today, have you been to the cross have you seen there the mercy of the Father? Have you seen there the justice? Because what Christ did in submitting Himself going to the cross, He was on exactly the same track of the Father. What does it all mean to us? And I close with this today. It means that if we have seen Jesus Christ, not with the physical eye, but if we have seen Him by faith and believed in Him, that He died to take away my sin, 
then we also know that the Father has also given His Son that we might have faith in Him and that we might receive Him. Because when we believe in Jesus as our Savior, we are believing in the Father as our God and Father. You cannot separate them. There's never a point when someone would say, well, I believe in Jesus, but I'm not so sure about this God that is called the Father. That can never be. Because in accepting the Father in true faith, we believe in the Son. Because to know Christ is to see the Father. And to see the Father is to know Christ. Do you know Him today? Have you received Him? That is the question that you must ask, either as you leave this church building or online when you turn off your computer. You will answer that question, do you know Him today? This is the message that we need to give out to a broken world because it is the gospel message. It is the good news. And as we who have been saved and who know Him and are praying that the Lord would make use of us as being soul winners, then we take this message of life and of truth because it is the only message that can bring out of darkness and into light. And so, friends, let us pray that God will deepen our understanding of who God is and that we will know more of Jesus because the more we learn of Him, the more we will know of the Father. We'll bow, please, in prayer. Lord, today, as we have dared to step out on this holy ground. Lord, please take out of the minds of people anything that has been said that is not glorifying to Your name. And I pray that every truth would be doubly reinforced in every heart. That we will know our God and be strong to do exploits, that we will serve with all our hearts, souls, minds, and strength because we love, Lord. We love You with all of our hearts, souls, minds, and strength. That's our prayer. That is what we want. And I pray that our understanding of the Scriptures would yet be greater than what it is today. Lord, we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we will be more shining examples. And so, Father, for any who are here, young or old, in our service, please bring them to faith in Jesus. And watching online or seeing this service at another time, 
Lord, make use of it for Your glory, we pray. Hear our prayers now. And Lord, just as we close, I think in prayer of our brother Donald's sister overseas and of her needs, and as she is preparing for surgery this Wednesday, Lord, that Your hand would be upon her for good. Just be near her at this time, we pray. Bless us. Take us to our homes in safety today. Keep us in the Spirit on Your day. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I meant that we would close our service today by singing a hymn that the organist pianists are just playing now. And uh, so we want to do that. It's a lovely hymn, and it really captures some of the thinking that uh, we've been looking at today. Let's stand, please, as we sing this hymn together. Father, 
write these words upon our heart today. And as they echo the Scriptures and the love that you have shown to us at the cross, we pray, blessed Savior, that in all these matters we will have a deeper appreciation and that our Lord Jesus would be magnified in our lives. Hear this prayer today. Bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.